0: Well, welcome to our second season of Knowledge Casts. If you're a regular listener, glad to have you back with us. And if you're a first-time listener, we hope that you enjoy today's podcast and we'll come back next week. We have a great list of guests this season, and you can read about them by going to jackwwilliams.com and just scroll down to the podcast section. Well, our guest today is, is Bill Curry. Bill is a graduate of Georgia Tech. He had an opportunity to play for the legendary college football coach, Coach Bobby Dodd. He later was then a 20th round draft pick of the Green Bay Packers, spent 10 years in the NFL before an injury uh, ended his career. He was a member of the 1965 Green Bay Packer National Football League Champions, which was the last NFL championship game prior to the Super Bowl taking its place. He then played in, in three Super Bowls, one with Green Bay winning uh, against Kansas City in Super Bowl one and two with the Baltimore Coats. Um, Losing to Joe Namath and the Jets in Super Bowl three and then winning Super Bowl five against Dallas. Bill also was the head football coach at Georgia Tech, Alabama, Kentucky, and Georgia State. Welcome, Bill. We're glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Jack. It's great to be on with you. I tell you, with that kind of background, it's going to kind of be hard to try to cover this in, in 20 minutes, but let me get started. Bill, what you know, what was it like? Going from college football, playing in an NFL championship game with the Green Bay Packers your first year as a professional athlete, and then playing in the very first Super Bowl the next year—that's quite an experience.
1: It was like um, it was like dreaming. It was like uh, I couldn't possibly be here doing this. This couldn't really be me. It, it felt surreal, and um, I am—I um, really did get on my knees and thank God for putting me in those situations and ask him to guide me because I had no idea what to do other than to play football. I I did know how to play football thanks to Coach Dodd, at least to the best of my ability. And um, it was um, remarkable. And the best thing about it is not the Super Bowl rings or the fact that we were on championship teams, although those are nice the relationships that were built on those great teams and learning to love other people, regardless of our differences, learning that racism is a curse. The teams that do well in the NFL are the teams that understand that you cannot tolerate racism, sexism, or looking down your nose at somebody because of politics or what have you, and that everybody on the team is equally important. That's what those great teams had. And it changed the trajectory of my life, my faith, and my various contributions to society
0: entirely. And I'm 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 deeply grateful. Well, Bill, as I mentioned in the uh, the intro, uh, you were with Baltimore when you played uh, Joe Namath and in, uh, in the Jets within that shocking upset there in Super Bowl three, and it got a lot of attention because of Namath's bold prediction. You know what what was your th- Team thinking when uh Namath started running his mouth. Uh, we didn't react. You got to remember this
1: about that team. This is what people nobody knows except us. when we started the year, our last exhibition game. We lost our quarterback, Johnny Ivis, and he was replaced by Earl Morrill, who had never taken a snap in our in a in a huddle with us. He didn't know our snap count, he didn't know our formations, he didn't know our plays. We won 15 games with Earl as our quarterback, and he became the most valuable player in the National Football League. So that is adversity. Uh, some guy shooting his mouth off is not adversity. The one game we lost was to Cleveland. We had just beaten them 34 to nothing in their stadium. So we didn't react to Joe's response. Joe's remarks. We also didn't react when he handed the ball off to Matt Snell over and over and over and <laughs> ran it down our throat. We fumbled the ball and turn it over and they were able to control it and they beat us and it was fair and square. And that's what, that's the only thing anybody remembers about that team. And that's a sad thing because that was a great bunch of guys and a great team, but, uh, the jets
0: deserved to win. Well, it was that one game where anything can, can happen scenario. And, and it did, um, you know, you were fortunate to play for some of the most famous coaches of all time. We mentioned Coach Dodd at Georgia Tech and then Vince Lombardi and Don Shula. What are some of the things that you've learned from them and and you have any particular stories you'd like to share about them? Well, I've got stories
1: from all three and I'll tell them as quickly as I can. Uh, Coach Dodd was deadly serious about education. My mom figured that out and uh, she maneuvered it so that I ended up with Coach Dodd. At least she helped. And uh, he said some ridiculous thing like, you're going to go to every class. And I thought he was joking about that. So I cut chemistry my first week at Georgia Tech. No way they could catch me, right, Jack? There were 100 kids in the class. The next day, the next day, my name was on the bulletin board. You know this drill. Bill Curry, report to Grant Field, 5.30 a.m. Wednesday morning in your running gear. About the 50th time I ran those West stands gagging and sobbing, I decided that chemistry at eight o'clock in the morning was a marvelous thing. And that's a cute (laughs) little story, but here's what matters. I never cut another class at Georgia Tech. I graduated from a school where I didn't belong academically, sure enough, only because my football coach loved me too much to allow me to self-destruct when I couldn't see my own potential. I went about a thousand miles north and Vince Lombardi was a very different kind of guy. He talked like this year. He was from New York. He was a Catholic. He he said, your religion, your family, the Green Bay Packers, that's all you'll think about while you're here. Those will be your priorities. He was obnoxious. He screamed at us and he yelled and I didn't like him. But he had some great virtues. He would not tolerate racism. We had more African-American players than anybody in the league. Nobody could beat us. And I thought those big guys would hear my Southern accent, injure me and send me home. That's not what they did. Led by Willie Davis, they embraced me. They loved me. They taught me how to behave. They taught me how it feels when somebody treats you like you're less than. And that's the reason I believe that nobody could beat those Packer teams. There were other teams that had talent, but they had a kind of bond It only exists where people accept each other and love each other. Was it all happy all the time? Did everybody get along? No, of course not. But we slugged it out internally and never allowed that to affect our performance. And that taught me a great, great lesson as well. And then came Don Shula, and um, he was a fanatic about special teams. He was the first guy, I think, in the NFL to have a special teams captain. Well, he allowed me to be his special teams captain. Why? Because Bobby Dodd taught us all to play special teams, didn't he, Jack? He made us all learn how to cover kickoffs, and I was a long snapper as well. So he let me be the special teams captain, and we're playing the Falcons on national television. We got a new baby daughter. My wife, Carolyn, is bringing her up that very week, and I clip a guy right in front of the bench on an 80-yard punt return. Greg Brazina, Falcon linebacker. Shula ran on the field, grabbed me by the shoulders, screaming profanity in my face. And <clears throat> since he came across the white line, you know, that's that's hostile territory. I screamed the same kind of language right back in his face. Wonderful. So I'm going home that night thinking, Carolyn's on her way up here with baby Kristen. I'm gonna have a one-game career with Don Shula because I shot my mouth off when I Couldn't afford to do so. So we're watching film Tuesday after the game. And the assistant coach said, Curry, is that a clip? And I said, might have been. He said, well, let me make a suggestion. The next time you decide to dog cuss the head coach on national TV, make very sure it's not a clip. Do you understand? (laughs) So I go find find Don Shula, and he takes me in the equipment room. And I was just on my knees. Coach, I'm so sorry. I apologize. It'll never happen again. You know what he said? He smiled. He said, I kind of like that. Just don't clip the guy. You think we played hard for him? We played our hearts out for him because he allowed us to have relationships with him different from any coach I ever played for. So all three
0: of them were great in their own ways. We also had a chance to play with Johnny Unitas and Bart Starr. Uh, you know, what a, what a opportunity that was.
1: Yeah. Well, I it, I can't even, there are no words for those two. Um, in in my opinion, and there have been plenty of great quarterbacks since then. But up until that time, there there was no debate that they were the two greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game. You can talk about Brady and Montana in the same breath with those guys, but they were not only great on the field, off the field, they were life-changing leaders. And uh, we could really get into long stories here, and I know we don't have time for it, but they were both, uh, it was a privilege to snap the ball and be responsible to, de- to protect those two men. I would, I would have done anything. I would
0: have marched into hell to uh, protect either one of them. Bill, you know, today, the professional athletes uh, make a ton of money and I hate to bring up a sore subject probably for you, but a lot of our audience don't realize that's not the way it always was. And in your era, uh, football players had to have an off-season job to make ends meet. What are some of the things that you did during the off-season? Well, I would like
1: you to know that my first contract, Carolyn and I, we, we sobbed. We were so excited because it was $12,500. And I swear, <laughs> I'm, I mean this, we thought we were set for life. <laughs> How dumb we were, Um and our per diem during training camp was $6 a day. This is the NFL now, $6 a day. That's why we formed a, a Players Association later on. So yes, we had to work in the in the off season and um, I was privileged, I attended uh, Canada School of Theology one off season. I should have stayed in school there, but I figured I knew everything there was to know about God after one year, I was 24 years old and stupid. I wish I had stayed. That was a great experience. Uh, we, we had won the championship so we could afford that. I worked at First National Bank. I worked for Channel 5 as a sports caster. I worked in the real estate business. Um, I tried a lot of different things and I enjoyed all of them, but uh, I didn't love any of them, so I went into coaching
0: when I finished playing. Well, speaking of coaching, you know, you had the opportunity, obviously, at Tech and Alabama, Kentucky, and then finally at Georgia State. You know, each one of those schools, from a standpoint of tradition and history and expectations, are a little different. Uh, How was was that experience with, with all four of those, going from one to the other? One of the worst things you can do
1: if you want to prepare to be a head football coach in college is to play in the NFL for a long time. So after playing for 10 years in the NFL, I walk into Georgia Tech as the head coach. And the the illusion was, because I played for Dodd, Lombardi, and Shula, hey, this guy really knows a lot about football. Wrong. I knew one thing, how to survive as an offensive center. It took every fiber of my being. My job was to hike the ball and be run over slowly. Well, I had to learn to do that, but I also had to call all the blocking signals. I had to do the blocking combinations for complex defenses and fronts. That's all I knew. I didn't understand recruiting. I didn't understand fundraising. I didn't understand all the things, staff, staff selection. So I came to Georgia Tech as a pure novice and I learned every day that I was there. And I'm very grateful for people like you and many others who came and helped what we were trying to accomplish. Um, and, And we got the job done. We built the program back to something that that uh, we could all be proud of. Uh, as for Alabama, you never have to motivate an Alabama football player. He knows why he's there. Now, class attendance, <laughs> that's a little bit different proposition. We, we had to, and I remember, to be fair to the Alabama guys, they weren't a lot different from the tech guys. We had to make the tech guys go to class too. And so you do whatever you have to to make sure they're sitting in that classroom. Kentucky, was a revelation because I was told, well, don't go to a place where football is second fiddle and at Kentucky is second fiddle to basketball. We should have made it and we should have made it well at Kentucky. We did not. That was not, That's on me. But Rick Pitino was the coach of the basketball team at the time and he was wonderful. He went out of his way to help us in every way he could. So we had no excuse up there. Georgia State was just a joy from start to finish. I mean, every youngster that came to Georgia State came there as an act of faith because we didn't we couldn't show him a nice locker room or even a practice field. We didn't have heck, we didn't have a football for a while there or or a telephone or an office. So those guys, I'll always be indebted to them. and And the great thing, yes, they've improved the football, everything about it practice facility they have an a game facility thanks to what happened with the braves that's really just beautiful but most importantly uh, they've all graduated virtually all of them have graduated so we're happy about that but it's all been a great experience
0: well you have to feel good about that georgia state experience uh, because you know this past year you know they had the highest wins they've ever had and, and really um, you laid the foundation and it has been growing ever since. I, I want to ask you one other thing. I've heard you speak many times and I've heard you talk about the power of the huddle. And I-, I want you to just briefly explain why that's such a great analogy today. Well, after 911,
1: ESPN decided not to put any of us on airplanes um, for the obvious reason. And I've, my assignment. W- we were living in North Carolina, so my assignment was changed, and I was to drive to Birmingham and do the Alabama-Southern Mississippi game. And I got about halfway there, stopped for gas. This is Alabama. why you were. This is why you were broadcasting. This, uh, yeah, I should have. I should have preceded that. I worked for ESPN for a long time as an analyst, and and I was going to do that job if indeed we were going to play the games. The NCAA was meeting to decide whether or not to play the games. We're now two days after the 911, the tower's falling. And so I stopped to get gas and the fellow at the gas station said, coach, are we gonna play these games? And I said, well, I don't know, but if this cell phone rings while I'm in your station, you may be the first fan in America to find out. We had been told to take our cell phones. NCAA would call us and tell us whether or not we were gonna play the games. So sure enough, my phone rang, I was told, We're not playing. So I walked back up to the front of the filling station and I told the guy, hey, uh, we're not playing. And I'll never forget his response. He leaned forward, his jugulars popped out and he looked me right in the eye and said, well, let me tell you something, coach. In a Alabama, come Friday night, we're going to play football because it means a lot to us. Wow. I didn't expect that. I got in my car and I was so badly shaken by the whole set of circumstances. I began to ask God, show me what, what is all this? Who cares if we play a dumb game on a Friday night in a Alabama? And it was almost as if a vision came to me. Every The Holy Spirit works on us sometime in this way. I think I began to see Friday night. It doesn't matter if it's in Atala, Alabama or Pueblo, Colorado or upstate New York or California or Florida. That's when America huddles. Over a million kids play football every Friday night in America 2,500 of them are girls, believe it or not. What happens in those stands? People sit together that never sit together any other time of the week. What happens when one of our kids scores a touchdown? We hug, we don't stop to see what the pigmentation is. We don't stop to see what the denomination is or whether they voted correctly in the last election. We just hug because that's our team. We're huddling, not just the players, the parents, the cousins, the uncles and aunts. And that's what America needs now. We need to huddle, talk about our differences, love each other in spite of our differences and come together as a team. That's
0: what happens on Friday night. what What a great analogy. Well, as we wrap up, Bill, I just want to I want to thank you for being with us today and and, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, you certainly have lived through some great moments and made a major impact in the lives of a lot of young men. Um, I can tell you for sure, uh, I've talked to many of them and and they would follow you wherever you asked them to go. Um, so thank you for being with us today. Thank you,
1: Jack, and i'm and I'm really i I'm, I'm impressed that you're doing this but I'm not surprised.
0: <laughs> well, also, I might say uh, I'm very familiar with those West stands at five o'clock in the morning as well. Uh, I, learned, <laughs> I learned my lesson a couple of times as well. But well, as we close out another podcast, I want to encourage uh, each of you to be back with us next week. And as always, make it your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others.
2: Hey, before you go, we wanted to let you know about Jack's book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question. In this book, Jack shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide his life. Whether you are a spouse, parent, grandparent, friend, leader, educator, coach, or mentor, Jatt's I Believe statements apply to all the roles he has played during his lifetime and can do the same for you. Jatt's message applies to all people, ages, and careers. It's an easy read with compelling stories, enjoyable humor, and sincere transparency. The question is now available in ebook and paperback, exclusively on Amazon. Go to jackwwilliams.com/thequestion to learn more and buy your copy today. Again, thanks for joining us for this episode, and join us next week for an all-new episode of KnowledgeCast by Ideals.